Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Good to see you all. You guys ready for some great Mexican food in a little bit? Awesome. Not too many people get to have El Tio on Sunday. At least not like fresh. Maybe if you had it left over or something. But um, not too many people get it fresh on Sunday. So you guys are one of the select few. Uh, turn to 1 John. There's uh, Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you if you need one. Uh, turn to 1 John. And if you're using one of those Bibles, it's page 591. I'll help you out a little bit sometimes. Uh, as you're turning there, the National Spelling Bee was this past week. Did anyone watch it? Some people. Uh, who knows what the final word that the um, champion had to spell? Koinonia. Yes. Which is really crazy because it's really like a Greek word that they just kind of grabbed into English. Uh, What does it mean? Yes, Christian fellowship or community. Has anyone ever been in a spelling bee? A couple people? Okay. I was in a spelling bee when I was in sixth grade. Yes. Guess how many rounds I made it? I didn't make it out of the first round, (laughs) okay? You want to know what my word was? I still remember it. However, what is that, like almost 30 years later? My word? Of course, my last name is Bond, so I was towards the beginning of the alphabet, right? So my word was adjacent, adjacent. And, you know, they teach you all about silent, you know, letters, but they don't really teach you much about the silent D in English, Because the D there is silent. It's adjacent. But there is a D that's hiding in there, and I didn't know it at the time. (laughs) Of course, if you took my Latin class, because I teach Latin part-time, you'd know that that word actually comes from the Latin, which maybe would have helped you out spelling that word. Anyway, it's interesting how certain things can stick with you. The passage we're going to look at today, um, I want a few things to stick with you. So look at 1 John with me. We're going to start in chapter 1, in verse 1. And here's what John writes. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, John was one of the disciples of Jesus. Disciple and apostle are are pretty synonymous when you're talking about the 12 um, disciples or the 12 apostles. And John was with Jesus for about three years. Walked with him, talked with him, saw him every day, face-to-face, ate with him, shared rooms together. Wherever Jesus went, John went. And so John knew quite well Jesus and his teachings. 
And what John is wanting to emphasize at the beginning of the book, he's basically saying, look, I am a firsthand testimony. I'm a firsthand witness to Jesus while he was living on this earth. So listen to what I have to say because it's important. So when he's talking uh, in verse 1, he's talking concerning the word of life, and then he kind of goes on and says the life was made manifest. Well, the life that he's talking about is the life of Jesus. Jesus' life made manifest. So that is going to be kind of like the maybe thesis or the key point for the book that he's writing. So he goes through chapter 1, he goes through chapter 2, and what I want us to focus on today is in chapter 3. So if you turn over to chapter 3, I want you to see this. Possibly one of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament. And it says this in verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Of God. And so we are. Now I want us to walk through this verse, at least the first part of this verse, together. Most versions say, see there. Um, I think King James, New King James say, behold. Um, he's actually telling us to do something there. It's not just like, uh, just like a conjunction or something or to keep the sentence going on. He's actually wanting us to do something, and it's actually a command. See or behold or look, or consider. And what is it that he's wanting us to stop? God's love. God's love. Why? Because for us, it can easily be crowded out. Not intentionally, but in the course of our everyday life, we can easily forget about things that are of monumental importance. We can forget about something as important as God's love for us. So in the busyness and all the running around that we can do, we forget it, we take it for granted, we neglect it, we can overlook it. But let me tell you something. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentional about things that are important. We have to be intentional about things that are important. Anyone who's breathing, which is all of us, knows that we can get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. And all of a sudden, things that are important have, for whatever reason, slipped off to the side. And then what do we do? We have a reordering of our priorities, usually on January 1st of every year, something like that, right? Some of us maybe do it on a more regular basis, which is really a good thing. But we reorder our priorities because we've let the important things slip to the side. So if we're not careful, we're going to end up being rather nonchalant or even flippant about God's love for us. So that's the first thing that, that John wants us to do here is to see the Father's love for us, to see it. But look what comes after see. And this is important. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. There's different types of love, right? There's friend to friend, spouse to spouse. You can even have like uh, stranger to stranger. So what kind of love is this? Well, it kind of gets into the nature of God's love. What kind of love is it? It's a father's love. Now God reveals himself primarily to us as a father. 
In fact, in the New Testament, it's mentioned him as our father uh, 245 times. Now, when there's, you know, 27 books, that's roughly nine times a book. That's quite a bit. But here's the thing. Where does this love come from that God has? I mean, did he go, like, on a treasure hunt for it? Did he go um, looking for it outside of himself? Did he stumble upon it by accident? No. Love is part of the very character of who God is. It's part of his essence. It's found in himself. He doesn't have to go looking because it's already part of who he is. It's one of his attributes. And this love that God has for us, it's holy. It's perfect. It's pure. It's selfless. And Jesus showed us, hey, God is is showing us this type of love, um, how are we supposed to interact with this God who relates to us as Father? I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6. It's page 473, if you're using one of our Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. And here Jesus is instructing the disciples on how to pray. And he starts in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Well, this actually was pretty crazy at the time for Jesus to use such an intimate term to refer to God and to suggest and even teach his disciples this was the way he wanted them to primarily interact with him. And then to use a modifier such as our, like you could claim a relationship with him, was pretty crazy at the time. It was pretty crazy to think that God could be our father. That A relationship like that, if you think of the relationship of, of an earthly father, a healthy one, a good one, right? There's going to be interaction. There's going to be intimacy. There's going to be friendship. There's going to be love. There's going to be kindness. There's going to be gentleness. All of those things. So this relationship that Jesus is training his disciples to have is just like that. One with the Father. Our Father. That's the nature of God's love. But what about the nurture of God's love? It's the Father who shows us his love. Right? What is 1 John later says, uh, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. We, we even, that, that's how we know what love is. Because God has shown it to us. He's described it, and then he's shown it in concrete ways. So it's the Father who shows us this love. It's his nurture for us. He has a nurturing love. It's the love of a king, but it's more than that. It's the love of a powerful ruler, but it's more than that. It's the love of a father. The father's love, the love that a father has towards his children, is a very, very powerful love. A love that will go to extremes, even to the point of laying down his own life. Think about that for a second. That's a powerful love. Now we're talking about power. I want you to think for a second of 
uh, your favorite president? Might not be the current one, I understand. But pick your favorite president. All right, you got it? Okay. He had a lot of power. Most likely, when he was president, he was the most powerful person in the entire world. Did he love you? I mean, maybe in a kind of generic sense, like, I love the American people. Something like that. Uh, but if he didn't know you, it's, it's kind of hard for him to really demonstrate or, or show you his love in a tangible way. Um, but did the president's love mean anything to anyone? Well, to his children, right? I mean, his children, he loved his children, and he probably demonstrated it to them, and they probably saw that on a regular basis. Well, what am I, what am I trying to get at? When God says he loves us, he's choosing to do that in the context of a father loving his child. He could have chosen any type of, of imagery or analogy or metaphor, any of those things. But he not only says, my love is like a father, that's really, to, to, to think that is to actually miss the point. Um, because he is the father. He's not like a father. He says, I am the father. That's how he chooses to reveal himself to us. That's how he chooses to reveal his love to us. So he chooses something that he was before the creation of the world, and then really what he's done is institute earthly things that reflect back to who he is. Because who he is as father was there way before the institution of marriage, way before the institution of the family, way before the concept of father in earthly sense was ever, was ever created or, or made up. Why? So we get it from him. And that's how we want to drive our definitions. Some of you might have had some, some bad experiences with your dad. Maybe you even have bad dads. But even in those bad experiences, even in those horrible experiences, you still have a concept of what a good dad would look like. You can still come up with a definition and some concrete things. Well, this is where my dad messed up. This is really what he should have been. This is really what he should have done. Right? So those, that concept of father can still be there, even if you've had that poor relationship, because in your heart you know what a true, good, loving father should look like and be. And hopefully if you're dad, you strive to be that. So his love is a nurturing love, and it draws us. And this powerful, almighty ruler is willing to make us his children. He's willing to do that. I mean, being called his servants, you know, that'd be great, right? You're servants of the Most High King, and he calls us that. Being called a student or a learner would be great, and he calls us that too. But children? I mean, you got to pause for a second and try to wrap your mind around that. That God in his infinite love is willing to adopt you into his family. And that's what John's trying to get at. What type of love is it? Now, some versions uh, say how great a love it is. That's, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. See how great a love God has for you. Why? Because there could be no greater love displayed than a father towards his children. So, <clears throat> the first and most important commandment Jesus is asked about in Matthew 22 
And what is the first and most important commandment? Yes, love the Lord your God. Now, that's how he responds. That's the answer given, and that's the truth. But Jesus could have given any answer he wanted to. I mean, he could have said, what's the first and greatest commandment? He could have said, serve the Lord your God, right? He could have said, worship the Lord your God. That would have been a good one. But he said, love, love the Lord your God. Love is foundational for any true relationship. Love is foundational for any true relationship. If you want a relationship with God, you'll have to love him. And you are able to love him because he first loved you. That is the nurture. Well, what about the name of God's love? The name of God's love. Well, probably in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word hesed would be a word that best described God's kind of fullness of his love. It's translated in different ways in different versions. Uh, Mercy in the New King James, loving kindness in the NASB, steadfast love. It's such a packed word that a lot of times they have to, I think the NASB even created the word loving kindness. They, they have to use compound words or words with adjectives because just simply saying love doesn't give it the fullness that it carried in the Old Testament. Hesed in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, some might say agape is the best word. There'd be some truth to that. Um, but if we were to really put a name to God's love, it'd have to be Jesus. Okay? Because Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. He is the fullness of love physically. Look at Romans chapter 5. It's page 549. Romans 5, starting in verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is love in action. God showing his love. God demonstrating his love. God has a love, but he wants us to see it. He wants us to experience it. So God did something. You want to know the amazing thing about that? Is he did this, it says, while we were yet sinners. So um, there's many moms and dads in this room, right? We, we, We have a natural love for our children. It's like, boom, God just gives it to us. It's an amazing, beautiful thing. And it's a love that will go to the ends of the earth for our kids. Um, And God put that there. But here's here's the thing. Um, Our children were always our children. Right? From the moment they're born, they're our children. But that's not the case with us. With us as humans is when we're born, the Bible says we're born into sin. So we're not born, we're not born children of God. 
Uh, the Bible says it clearly. It says actually we're children by nature, wrath. We're children of wrath. What does that mean? Well, we're born, when we're born, we're born in enmity. We're an enemy of God. Why is that? Because we're born into sin. And our natural tendency is to reject God, to turn away from him, to not seek him, to not love him, to not run after him. That's our natural tendency. See, we, <clears throat> we were born, the Bible says in Romans 5, just a little bit earlier, we were born in Adam, the first man. So we get everything that Adam did for us, which was what? Culminating in one act, eating the fruit, right? And thus began a long downward trend. And that's the trend that we follow in naturally. That's our nature. And that's what really should blow you away about the love that God has. Why? Because the love that he demonstrates for us is the love that he has towards the people that hated him at one point. They hated him. So God, who is rich in mercy, Ephesians says, pours out his mercy and grace on the very people who hate him, who are willing to spit in his face, who are willing to curse his name. Now that's an amazing love, to be willing to do that. That's the love that God's talking about. See, Jesus is God's love, I would say, in, in physical form. Uh, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So you have the Father sending the Son. That whoever believes in the Son might not perish but have eternal life. Are you guys hearing me? Okay. I want everybody listening. This is important stuff. So, so, so wake up. God so loved the world. What's the point? The point is he did something. He did something for each of you. For each one of you, he did something. So to be a child, you can be either born into the family or adopted into the family. Right? It's really only one of two ways. Well, I just explained to you that we weren't born physically into the family of God. So the only other option is adoption. We can be adopted into the family. Look at John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 just for a second um, because I want you to see uh, what the verse I'm going to end up going to is referring to because it's important. So it says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so it goes on. It's using he and him and he and him. Well, we don't find out until verse 14 who this word, who this he or this him is, who the word is. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so the word became flesh. Who's the word? Jesus. Jesus was with the Father from the beginning. Right? He becomes flesh. He takes on a human body. But the verse I want you to look at, but I wanted you to look at all those others first, 
so you understand what's going on in verse 12. It says this. In verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Is that what happened to Jesus? Right? He came to the Jewish people. They rejected him. They ended up crucifying him. But verse 12, but to all who did receive him. Who's the receive him? Who's the him? Jesus. Good job. You guys got an A so far. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how does adoption occur? Through what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus lived the perfect life. And what was his reward for that? At the hands of sinners, they crucified him. But this was part of God's plan, believe it or not. This was part of God's plan. It wasn't a plan B. It was plan A from the very beginning. They covenanted together before they ever created this earth for God to come and rescue us. And that's what he did. He rescued us. He had a plan. We were born into Adam. How do you get out of Adam? Well, you got to get rid of the sin. you got to deal with the sin in order to get out of Adam. Well, we can't do that ourselves. We can try and try and try and try and try, and many people do, and it doesn't do you any good. Trust me, I've been there. So we need someone else to get us out of Adam. And that's what Jesus did. He took our sins on him. I mean, now he took our sins, right? He took the sins of the whole world, it says. And it was taken care of on the cross. It was taken care of. Past, present, and future. So here he's telling us the same John. It's a different book, but it's the same John is telling us that if we receive Jesus, what does that mean? Believe in his name. What does that mean? Trust in the work that he did on the cross. And what do you get for that? You get adopted into the family. It says you get the right to become children of God. Guess what the difference between an adopted child is and a naturally born child is in terms of rights and privileges? Nothing. Nothing. We're blessed to have some people in here that have been adopted, right? They have the same full rights and privileges as any natural born brothers or sisters they might have. That is a beautiful thing. And the same is true here. If you are adopted into God's family, you get all the rights and privileges. You get eternal life. You get the riches and mercy poured out upon you by God. And that offer is for everyone here. Each one of you. So God, he, he has a, a, a nurturing love that calls for us to respond. And I, I exhort you, I encourage you, I strongly stress that you should put your trust and faith in Jesus. Why? Not because it's going to make you feel good. No, I think it actually might. Uh, because you want to be rescued from your sins. You want to be redeemed from the path that you're on that is leading to destruction. God wants to save you. He wants to get you a new life. And he wants to breathe that into you. So I encourage you to trust him. 
for your salvation. Trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust him to do what you can't do. If you do that, the Bible says, you will have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love. It is very powerful. You show it to us. You demonstrate it to us. You even let us experience it, God, in real tangible ways. You show us most clearly through the sending of your Son, through the forgiveness of sins that you offer us, through the new life that you grant to us when we trust in you, through the adoption of us into your family. There's so many things, Lord, that you give us. Thank you. Give us grateful hearts, Lord. Grateful hearts for what you've done. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who might not know you. Young or old, God, you know each one of our hearts. And if they don't have a saving faith in your son, Lord, I pray that you would grant that to them, God, that they would choose today to truly trust in the work of your son. We thank you that you sent Jesus to live and to die for us. We thank you that it's in him we have life. You are so good to us, God. We thank you for demonstrating your love over and over and over and over and over again to us. Lord, may we respond in faith. I pray for the believers here, the ones that you call children that have already been adopted by you. That they would continue to seek you, continue to walk in your ways, continue to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. That they would do this, Lord, for your glory. We pray this, Lord, with the authority that you give us in your son, Jesus. We ask that you'd bless the food that we're about to eat. Bless LTO and all the workers, God. Thank you for Scott and Veronica and and the blessing they are to us and providing this, Lord. Um, I pray we'd have a good time of fellowship, of friendship, Lord, of ministering to one another for your glory. Amen.